leftovers, or the DMV, or house cleaning, or Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. We're prohibited by law. T plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details. From the era that brought you names like Chamberlain, Russell, and West. To Chamberlain, he's got it! Jerry West made it from the other side of the mid-court strike! To the glory days of Magic and Kareem. Abdul-Jabbar is on the brink of an NBA all-time record. From a time where last-second shots were expected. Here comes Kobe. From way outside. Got it! Oh, man! Gets it to LeBron. For three for the win! Yes! LeBron James! And rings were handed out like candy. Here's Jordan! It's Duncan Dynasty with your host, Garrett Bougay, and it starts right now. Welcome to another episode of Duncan Dynasty alongside my co-host Corbin Ford, who is back. I am Garrett Bougay, and uh, before we get into this episode, I, I just wanted to, and I hope this is okay with you, Corbin, I just wanted to give the listeners a little bit of a... Um, a history lesson as to how we came together for this pod. And, uh, you know, it started basically because I had, I heard Corbin on a couple of pods with, uh, with Simon, Sharon Gordon with, uh, what was it? The, uh, the 94, right. To the 94. Yeah. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> and, uh, I'm like, okay, this, this Corbin guy seems fun. He, he knows what he's talking about. So I reached out to Corbin on Twitter and, uh, he was like, dude, I, I love your stuff. And let's let's get a let's get an episode going. I believe the first episode we did was on the Houston Rockets. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Late and, night. <laughs> uh, you know, it was just like instant chemistry, right? It was like, oh yeah, that was that was that was very easy. It was a blast, had a fun back and forth. Yes, and uh, you know, after that. Like it was Corbin's like, Hey dude, reach out to me whenever you need somebody. I'm, I want to come on as much as, as much as humanly possible. And, uh, you know, after that, he came on a few more times and then he was like, dude, I'll be a co-host if you want me to. Like, I'm like, that, that sounds great to me, you know? And I got to just say to, to everybody listening, Corbin has been just amazing for this, for this podcast. He's, he's just a terrific dude. And, um, you know, he's been, he's been very helpful in terms of saying, Hey, if you need somebody last minute, let me know. You know, I, he was also very understanding that I like having guests, uh, you know, from, from SBC, of course, which we're both alums now. So he's yeah. like, yeah, dude, get other people on. That's totally fine. I'll, I'll back off. And then when you need me, I'll come, I'll be on. And so I just wanted to, to get that out there and, and just say, Corbin, I appreciate you. And you've been awesome. And 
I uh, hope we can do plenty more of these in the future. Bro, thank you, man. Like I tell you, you're, I, oh, man, I'm blushing over here. I'm glad this is audio, not video. My goodness, but like, <laughs> you're just a great friend, man. Great guy. It's been I, I've, I have fun every time we do these. I mean, from you know the the comic ones. I know we did our ranking our Marvel movies or something a while back. If I remember, that was crazy. You know, our yeah. Russell Westbrook uh, disagreements, our friendly rivalry there. Um, it was one of the great privileges of this year to have met you in person uh over this past time i can't wait till next year which could have done longer but it was just so much fun man those chocolate pretzels were legit um like you're just a great guy i appreciate the opportunity and, and letting me become part of this show that I've, I've enjoyed listening to and now i have even a greater appreciation for knowing the person behind the show so man to many more to many more man. i do appreciate it and I, I thank you i thank you this is this is as much fun for me on top um, being a part of it as it was listening and it's always a last well yeah and we're um I don't think I've told you this either, but uh, we're just like, I think four or five episodes away from, from the, the number 200, 200 Whoa. episodes. So uh, we're going to have to get you back on for that special episode. Cause I, there's no one I'd rather have for that. Thank but, you, man. Uh, yeah. So, so for this episode, we're going to be talking about the Los Angeles Lakers, Corbin's favorite team. He follows them very closely. And uh, I've, uh, I've decided to watch them recently because they still have LeBron James on the court, which makes them more watchable than 90% of the rest of the league, given all <laughs> the, the COVID absences and everything. Yeah. The, the Lakers sitting at uh, 16 and 16 overall. They have the 27th ranked offense and the 12th ranked defense and net rating of negative 2.6, which is 23rd in the NBA, Corbin. And we talked about the Lakers a few weeks back when we did our uh, our tiers, our quarter, quarter season mark tiers. And at that time, they were 23rd in offense, 23rd in defense. So they've actually slid a little bit on the offensive end, falling to 27th. But the defense has started to get a little bit better, and they're approaching the top 10 now. They are. It's taken a little bit of time to kind of get that chemistry going and i mean i don't want to come across like the laker excuse fan but i mean here i am um if the boot fits right um injuries have obviously played a big part um having that disjointment in terms of potential rotations uh for example trevor Riza, who has not missed a shot with the lakers since 2009 find a little bit of trivia since he hasn't missed a shot you know all that anyways um with him being finally back in two games after missing all of uh, this time so far with that ankle injury and the surgery needed for that. Uh, Kendrick Nunn, who was a prominent part of the rotation, still is not yet to be played. You have injuries to Austin Reeves who had come through, Malik Monk and others. So it's nice that they're finally finding some sort of continuity, or at least they were attempting to. Uh, Russell Westbrook starting off with a really ugly start and has finally found his rhythm a little bit. But unfortunately, it seems like the the problems that play the Lakers is that inconsistency on more of a micro scale. Even though the macro scale is only to turn the corner from one game to the next, you really don't know what team you're getting. Yeah, and uh, you mentioned some of the absences. Of course, LeBron was out earlier in the year. He had the uh, the abdominal strain, which kept him out for a while. And uh, so he's missed double-digit games. And now recently we had the injury to the M- MCL sprain to Anthony Davis. He's going to be out for upwards of, uh, you know, four-plus weeks. So, you know, we already knew that this team, I think part of the reason they got Russell Westbrook was to have another guy in there in the event of injuries to their, their top two guys. But even still, when, you know, you're missing one of your top three players for, you know, over half the season, essentially at this point, it's, it's, it's tough to deal with for any team. It is. I mean, you really, 
the, the recovery time, especially for a veteran-laden team that's forced to play minutes and an injury risk in and of themselves in that way, the young guys are like what? Taylor Horn Tucker, who was also injured to start the year, you know, and then Malik Monk and others who have had issues just kind of finding their own game within this team and this ecosystem that's largely LeBron and, and partly Anthony Davis as well. Um, and then he's had time missed and LeBron as well. And when the, 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 the tempo of your team is out on and off for stretches, that obviously throws your whole team's axis off. And we've seen that come into, into bear even as recently as their previous, their previous game against the Lakers, LeBron rolled their ankle. And I was like, darn it, not because of him missing this game, but what could possibly follow after. Or yeah, the previous game against the Suns, I think you, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. They rolled it twice. I believe in that game. It looked really, yeah. Uh, so yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens with that. But uh, yeah, let's let's talk about the defense first because yeah, as as I mentioned, they've improved in recent weeks. But still, sitting at twelfth, it's nowhere near where they've been the last couple of seasons, where I believe they were second in the NBA in defensive rating in the championship season in the bubble, and then third last year. And so, being twelfth is a bit of a disappointment for this group, and. I think part of it you could you could attribute to some of those injuries that they've been dealing with. And also, you know, Dwight Howard has missed some time as well, uh, which I, I think he's been their best traditional center, especially with, uh, you know, DeAndre Jordan looking a bit washed. Laying an egg. You can just say it. You got it, Garrett. <laughs> but uh, checked out. Yeah, it's uh, the defense is is interesting because, you know, they started the year trying to go back to kind of their formula for their championship run in the bubble, which was playing the traditional center with Davis at the four and LeBron at the three and just having those, you know, ultra big lineups. But then the backcourt defense was, was not very strong. You know, Russell Westbrook, albeit, albeit he's always been a solid one-on-one defender has his issues off the ball. You know, they're playing the likes of, you mentioned uh, Monk and Ellington, the, just guys that aren't uh, aren't anywhere near the the pl- the caliber of defenders that they had in the past in the backcourt with the likes of you know Alex Caruso and KCP and Danny Green. So yeah, one of the things I've noticed as well since they've been trying to downsize and and right before Davis's injury, a few games they they started putting him back at the five, starting him and and trying to really, you know, go small, but, uh, you know, obviously you're, you're not that small when Davis is at the five and LeBron's at the four, uh, <laughs> but still pretty uh, big. yeah, but uh, you know, to try to open things up for them offensively and maybe to switch a little bit more, but then again, Caruso and KCP, Danny Green, those guys are great switch guys at the backcourt positions. Whereas now again, they recently, uh, they recently brought in Isaiah Thomas, They've got the likes of, uh, again, Ellington and Monk and even Avery Bradley, uh, who is known as a decent defender. I feel like he's taken a step back, but he's also, what, 6'1", 6'2". So there's not a lot of great options for this team. If they play the drop coverage, you need the guards to do really well in that sort of scheme to get over the screens and and to cause problems for the ball handler. And then if you switch, you need the guards to be able to switch. And so... The, the departures of, of Caruso and KCP and what they brought in, it just doesn't really give them any sort of defensive identity. No, and, and you said it, with, with those guys, you had not only some defensive aptitude and, and some actual competency on that end, but you also had some size. 
You know, you're not getting that uh, for for large minutes and just for very troubling minutes, quite frankly, of the Lakers' most recent game against the Suns. You had Frank, um, not Frank Vogel, but Coach David Fisdale. I guess he kind of was forced to. I mean, there's no reason to be forced to use this lineup of Isaiah Thomas, Russell Westbrook, and Rajon Rondo, which, like, yeah, off ball is a nightmare for two of the three guys. On ball is a nightmare for two of the three guys. Like, no matter how you kind of slice it, you're putting mismatches and you're stretching LeBron James to the absolute just thin because he has to cover for so many holes that are just opening immediately. And it was so crazy because at one point, um, they had at the announcing team had asked they asked Monty Williams about um, how do you feel with the Suns missing so many shots and Monty's like, well, hey, we're we're getting corner threes, we're just not knocking them down, but we know the corner threes there, and it was there all night long and eventually once the sun stopped missing you saw what happened well yeah and it was it was a, it was a concern too in the in the third quarter i think one of the announcers also said it it's like they're they're shooting like uh you know 20 under 20 percent from three-point range but the suns are winning it's like that's yeah. that's not a great side um but yeah I, i'm glad you brought up the lineup i i actually had this in my notes as well where it had uh, where he had Russell Westbrook, Taylor Horton Tucker, Rashawn Rondo, LeBron, and, and one other guy out there. Mm-hmm. But it's like, you know, they're so they were going small and they've tended to go small after, you know, since the since the Davis injury. But and also with Dwight Howard unavailable. But uh, you know, again, the point of going small <laughs> is to benefit offensively most exactly. of the time. But if you have three, you know lackluster shooters on the court you're not really gaining any sort of advantage yeah yeah you're not and 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 then even then you're putting a lot more pressure on lebron especially since these non-shooters aren't exactly great cutters you know i don't think anyone's looked at isaiah thomas um rosalondo or russell westbrook for their amazing off-ball activity they don't they're, they're used to dominating the ball um and if they're not with the ball they're not as effective so to have all three of them staying around or setting ineffectual screens isn't doing it Taylor and Tucker not only did go over eight from three in their most previous game, but many of them are off. He's shooting sub 25% from three. So this is not his game, hasn't been his game, and just has continued to be proven that it isn't. Um, and then you have LeBron James creating by himself ISO or post-up situation with the defense collapsing the second guy on, on his hip. Like, it's an issue. You're right. You're giving up rebounds because you're kind of small in that vein um, on the offensive side. So usually one-shot opportunities of the harder variety by LeBron James. It's yeah. it, it, The offense just slows to a crawl. Then it does that kind of deflating effect on the defense. So the defense isn't active, and also they have ineffectual defenders anyway. It, it just feeds the cycle. You know, a, a close game turns into a, a six-point deficit. You know, a four-point lead turns to a, a three-point deficit. You know, a already si- sizable deficit turns to a blowout. Send them in early. Like, it's these types of things that are brought about. And honestly, Garrett, I'm not going to lie. Like, I'm, I'm very black and white with it because I think as a fan, like, the fan part of me is starting to be like, what can the Lakers do? Like, I mean, aside from the health of AD out for the next month, you know, playing Dwight Howard, more that's going to help at the same time Dwight Howard's 36. And although he's competent defensively, he's still a foul machine. Doesn't get like he used to. Like, there's not really any impact players there, um, at least positively. And I just don't see how you make a move to bring one in. Aside yeah. from, I'm I'm starting, I'm telling you right now, Garrett, I'm going to get, I'm just going to drop this out here. I'm starting to entertain the unthinkable and they're not going to do this. So I'm not going to bring it up, but one of the big three of the Lakers needs to be traded. And it's not the one you think. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I, uh, I listened to your, uh, 
your recent podcast, your Fun Trade Friday with Justin Matcham. Oh, you know, you know. Lakers-Pacers <laughs> deal. I heard that. All right. Yes, sir. You heard. I'm sorry. I forgot about that. Thank you. Shout out to Garrett. See, great friend, great fan. But yes, you know. If anyone uh, if anyone did listen to that, I mean, one, you should you should be listening to, to Ramble Ramble with Corbin. It's amazing. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, he, he proposed, I think half jokingly, you know, you know, that the Lakers would trade Anthony Davis to the Indiana Pacers for DeMontis Sabonis and, uh, and Karis Levert. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's the, uh, the panacea that the Lakers would be hoping for in a Davis trade, but, uh, no, probably not know, with the, with the way Davis is playing. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it wouldn't shock me if his, if his trade value was, uh, maybe not that low, but lower than, than you would expect. Yeah. And what, and what gets me is this, he's been very like checked out in my opinion, Garrett, like he doesn't look like he has been active. Um, like he's invested. And what bothers me about that is that, like he came out basically, you know, the top 75 and how controversial that is for the record. He's on that team. I really don't think he should be, but that's besides the point. I think that, you know, to what uh, a 2020 bubble uh, playoff run and a 2018 dominant run with New Orleans Pelicans in their second round uh, playoff series. Like that, that to me, isn't, doesn't make a top 75, but I digress. Aside from that, he comes and he's like, Hey, I don't have anything to prove. Like you're 29, dude, like 28 going to 29. You are, the bridge after LeBron who in little ways here and there, higher volume of shot from outside, greater propensity to injuries. Like he's showing that father Tom is getting his jobs in like all the years that he hasn't had it. Father Tom's getting it in. So it's like, all right, AD, this is where you step up and say, I'm putting the onus on myself. You know, he's preaching this cavalierness of, okay, you know, this is going to be a marathon, not a sprint. And we have it. We could go on a 15 game win streak right now. But my question to AD is like two years of the Lakers has gotten you on that level. <laughs> right. Like, with all due respect, you're not LeBron like that. You know what I mean? Like, you don't have it. LeBron says that. And I'd be like, okay, for the record, LeBron hasn't said that. So, you know what I mean? Like, like this air of confidence, this air of like, I've done everything I need to do. I, I don't know if it's impacted his play, but I have to imagine that it has because he was comfortable saying it to people. And his numbers still look decent for an NBA star standpoint. But like, I don't think he's more top five, top 10. I think he's more like 25, top 30. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, that's a hot take. And again, I told you, I have it. I, the more we talk, the hotter it's going to get. I didn't stop. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is a hot take. Um, I, I probably agree with the sentiment that he's no longer a top 10 guy. I don't know if I would drop him like, you know, to borderline all-star category. I still think he's a legit all-star, but yeah, I mean, a lot of the issues surrounding Anthony Davis have, have uh, come to fore this, this year. And one of them being that, he just has never been able to consistently knock down the out outside shot, shooting 18% from three this season. Good, good. And defensively, despite the fact that, yes, in a playoff series, there are very few players outside of like a Dre, other than a Draymond Green, that I would probably want as a, as a defensive center to really slow down the opposition and have that versatility defensively. But in the regular season, especially, you know, with some of the Lakers issues where, as I mentioned, that they're not as uh, well suited to switch because of the size of some of their, their lack of size of some mm -hmm. of their guards, that he doesn't have then the impact in terms of just being that drop back center and, and taking care of everything. And there are oftentimes, you know, I noticed in that, that Dallas game that the Lakers 
barely pulled out with with uh, the Mavs not even having Luka Doncic. Thank you, Austin Reeves. Uh, there was yeah, there was a, there was a big play at near the end of that game. I believe it was I believe it was Brunson that drove in. The Lakers were up three. And so at this point, it's like, you don't, you don't want to surrender a three, right? It's near the end of the game and Brunson drives in Davis is guarding Maxi Kleba. Davis comes over helps, even though I think the defender really had Brunson under control. Brunson just pivots, finds Kleba. He hits the game tying three. And it's just those sorts of plays where you're like, you know, uh, it's it's as important to know when you're supposed to help as it is to know when you shouldn't help. Yeah, yeah. It's, again, it goes back to that defensive competency, you know, being aware that situational awareness, okay, this guy, cheat off, this guy helped to like, like how you respond in moments, minute by minute possessions that these little kind of cracks here and there turn into an avalanche of defensive errors where the offense can come in and get whatever shot they want as LeBron starts slumping. And that never does good for body language, but normally he's on more of a, a veteran-laden team. And it, no, no difference here, but there are enough young guys that you think, okay, that could be rubbed off on them. And honestly, like, if you're going to start slumping your sole shoulder to the first three, get ready for a bunch of them, LeBron, because this team's going to give them up. Yeah, it's uh, it's been rough. And yeah, like, again, Davis's inability to sort of recapture that shooting from the bubble is also a challenge with with Russell Westbrook there and with a traditional center alongside you know if if they had the Davis you could just throw the ball to it 20 feet he faces up and and hits 50 percent of those jumpers they -hmm. could probably get away with playing big and playing more defensive lineups and still be at least okay offensively but he just hasn't been that he is not outside of the bubble and uh, yeah, it's, it's been a problem. And then also, you know, speaking of guys that are maybe outside of the top 10, uh, you know, what are your thoughts, Corbin, as far as the current state of LeBron James as an NBA player? Wow. I, I, I'm more on the side of he's between five and 10 than he's between one and five at this stage. You know what? I'm glad you, you came with that. Um, yeah. I have, to, I have to go with you on that. And I hate to say this because, I mean, Laker fan LeBron, he just I, – I said this. There used to be times where LeBron James could dominate a game, period. You know what I mean? And now I think that there it's gone from that very – kind of subtly, but it's shifted from LeBron James can dominate games to LeBron James can dominate games for stretches, you know? And those could be long stretches. You know, those could be a key stint here from large stretches of the Suns game. He did. And then the Suns went on the poor, and usually LeBron could keep going, you know, and kind of keep pace before falling out late in the fourth. Now, by the end of the third quarter, he's like, I, I 34 on 13 of 18, we out. You know what I mean? The ankle yeah. injury didn't help, but you could already tell it wasn't going to be that type of game. He doesn't have it like that. And, and, and nor should you expect the age 37, all the minutes, all of that, the stuff that you feel like you have to say obligatory to when you fell say LeBron James. But, yeah, I, I agree with you that. And, like, the fact that you can do that, that alone, like dominate game for really parts of it get him in that top 10 range for me but it is on the upper echelon because i don't think you bring it 100 all the time like you would expect the top five to do right and and yeah like even those even those ankle turns that he suffered in that sun's game it was a lot of like okay you know 20 25 year old lebron is just blowing past his defender and finishing in front of the guy yep Whereas now the drive, he, he takes a drive to his left. The defender is able to cut him off. So he has to spin back. 
And then by the time he spins, another help defender has come over. And that's what happened with the, I believe, the second one where Jay Crowder then came over and contested the layup. And Crowder got called for a foul, I think, because the ref just reacted to LeBron twisting his ankle. But yeah, like it was instinctual and not one that actually happened. Well, and the Suns challenged it. Did you think that was a foul? Because like they they almost refereed it as if it was a jump shot where uh, you know, you you had to give the guy room to land, but that doesn't apply on layups, right? No, I don't think it does. I, I think that it was. I thought it was fine. I think it was more like an impact one. Like he fell down. It's and also I hate to say it, but he fell down. It's LeBron. It's called the foul and sorted out. But like honestly, and, and probably my Jay Crowder got over a little bit earlier. I don't. I wasn't mad at the moment because Carmelo Anthony got ejected for a clue foul by Crowder that wasn't called. And he expresses frustration there. That was the second one. So I think that Jay Crowder had been getting all these hits in, that it wasn't like they just did it without any type of prior awareness, if you know what I mean. Like, Crowder got in these hits. At that time, though, I do feel like it was like the one time that he got called is the one time that he actually didn't do anything, if, if that if that adds up. Because it did seem like this an awkward landing. But even then, the way LeBron is slowing down, like it was so... He was just doing it. You know what I mean? And now LeBron's getting to a point where ankle injuries where he'd hop back and wouldn't be bothered at all are all of a sudden taking him out in, in ways that it, we've watched, we've been blessed. I've watched so much LeBron James, but you know when he's not moving the same. You know what I mean? And he's not moving the same. The fluidity with which he does these turns and moves is a lot more power than the speed that he used to be because it is taking a lot for him to go. He is still very fast on a straight line. It's that lateral stuff that gets defensively, you can cover it up mostly. Because Ben Taylor did an excellent video on this, defensively kind of hops into his area. So he's trying to anticipate, and that hop kind of makes up for the lack of lateral, you know, thrust that he does to go side to side. But offensively, that spin move is becoming more and more about power and carving his way through, which is why he's getting more and more offensive fouls, if you ask me. Yeah, yeah, and again, just not having that uh, that that elite first step to blow by guys and, and guys are able to cut him off then. So yeah, he has to resort to, to more of those spins, more of those Euro steps. And yeah, those are always, those will always put you in position to get called for offensive fouls. That's why, you know, Giannis Antetokounmpo gets a lot of offensive fouls yeah. because he's forcing the issue. Um, the, the other thing that I think is, is interesting as well is that uh you know he's attempting more threes than he ever has in his career this season that he's up to 35 percent of his attempts from downtown and you know again a, a part of that is just energy conservation but then the other bit of it is like well you know at a certain point if if the drive isn't working as as it used to i i should just settle for these shots and yeah, like he'll occasionally pull up from 30 feet and, and hit an impressive one. But at the same time, you're like, is that really what we want to be seeing out of Lamar? Yeah, the defense will take that as a win. Yeah. I mean, they will. I mean, in the mind, you become a lot more proficient at taking and making those shots. But at the same time, those are not those aren't his shots. I mean, in terms of if he's doing that, the defense is OK, fine, They because it's still a, a challenge for the defense gearing up, knowing his passing skill, knowing how he can get to the basket. But at the same time, he's going to you know, settle for a long jumper. Okay. You know, he'll go five for 12 from three. He's taking a lot more of us through a lot more threes this year, a lot more sense of his shot from outside, but you'll always call it a win for the defense because even while he's a better outside shooter over his career now, I mean, he's definitely not a Steph Curry, you know? Right. And yeah, the, um, you know, again, considering the Lakers are 27th in offense, of course, we, we talked about even prior to the season that it didn't seem like, they did a great job similar to last year of putting enough shooting around him. 
And even the guys that can shoot like a Carmelo Anthony, those guys destroy your defense in the process. So, yep. um, they, they had a lot of quality three and D options on that championship team. And now they, they do not have too many. Although again, Trevor Ariza being back, I think should help. How do you feel like Ariza has looked in the early going so far? Kind of stiff. I mean, he looked like a 36, 37 year old wing player who's going to have to defend some higher, better quality opponents which is to say not super great, but already he seems like a calming influence on the court. He's someone that um, he hasn't missed a shot. So you have that there and he hasn't been afraid to take him either. Like it's been low volume, but like he's coming in. I think it's someone who's confident in taking those two, having additional length on that floor. I don't think we can fully judge until we see AD, which is unfortunate about the time Ariza gets back, AD goes down. But I think we have all three of those guys together. We'll probably see more of what the Lakers coaching staff front office had in mind. And yeah, that may not be the product that we all want to see, but at least it'll be closer to what they wanted to put out there, you know? Um, so I like what I've seen so far defensively. I mean, he's, he's been be the time speed is there. He's 36. Like, I mean, and it's not like that's an advanced basketball age to be a defensive lockdown guy. Like, I don't know a defender at that age that has been effective at that job. You know what I mean? Like you don't get a 37 year old stopper. That's not a lot of that is on your youth and your athleticism and your speed. And as much as it is your defensive acumen and knowing where to be and your, your veteran while and all of that. So for a reason to be playing that position, now, I wasn't a fan of it to begin with. Um, just having seen the last couple of years, remember in Miami, like, you know, but at the same time, um, it has been horrible. That being said, they're still trying to ease him into minutes. So I don't even know if we're seeing him in the, to the extent that Lakers fans or Lakers will hope to have you to be using him. Yeah. He's uh, again. Yeah. Just having a guy that is competent on both ends, as you said, though, he is older. So he's, he's, uh, he's never been, I think he had one season in Washington where he really shot it well. But outside of that, he's been, you know, an average jump shooter at best. Uh, and, you know, his defense has been really strong. You know, like in, in 2018 with that Rockets team, his defense was excellent in that conference yeah. finals against uh, Durant and the Warriors. Um, but, yeah, just having like a guy that, uh, you know, I, I've noticed him get his hands on some balls and get some strips. Uh, and, and as you said, just being out there and he's at least going to be respected from three by opposing defense as opposed to as opposed to guys like a Russell Westbrook or a Taylor Horton Tucker, where the Suns were just like basically saying THT, you know, fire as many away as you want. Exactly. And bomb away. We really don't care. We know you can't make <laughs> it's it's a tragic place to be as, as a Laker fan right now. Yeah. And, you know, they've they've resorted to. I should say that's that's maybe a little mean, but they well, they, picked up, they, they picked up Isaiah Thomas. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> I'm happy he's back in the league, but yeah, he uh, he went what like one for thirteen or something against one. The- I think yeah, one of eleven or something. Yeah, one of thirteen um, for it was I think it was one of thirteen for um, THT, zero for eight from three, and then one for eleven from uh, Isaiah. Yeah, rough night for him shooting the ball, but. I actually thought like movement wise, he looked pretty good, pretty spry. I think Mm -hmm. one of the, one of the biggest issues though, for him, you know, as a player compared to his year in Boston, where he was a a top five MVP guy is that explosion at the rim. You know, we've seen, there was, there was one play in that, in that Suns game where he, uh, he drove right, got past his man couldn't finish on the right side of the rim, had to go with a reverse and just came up short on the reverse. And it's those types of plays where it's like, just not maybe not having quite as much lift where he hangs in the air 
makes that finish especially difficult for a guy his size. Yeah, the jump, it isn't there. It, it, it hasn't been there, and it's been a little bit of an issue with age. You know, because he was already someone that was going to have a problem kind of finishing among the trees, especially as, you know, it's not like defense have gotten any easier on that. It was always an issue kind of getting around there and carving that real estate to make those fantastic finishes. But it's been a couple of years since this hip injury, a couple of years out of the league, you know, 31 going to 32, that does play a factor in smaller guards, especially, you know, we've seen this uh, come up. This is about right around the time when, unfortunately, the careers kind of come to an end. It feels better for Isaiah Thomas because some of his better years were kind of spent rehabbing, getting back. But now he's back up that kind of timeline. So his shooting is going to be really important, especially with his defensive issues not getting better. Um, I think he's a little more engaged for whatever that stands for. I think a little bit of this desperation of being out the league and wanting to be back in and, and trying to prove that, hey, I can at least be irritant. I can at least do my best. And he's doing that. But if his shot's not there, you, you really can't rely on his finishing around the basket because it's not consistent. And and I, I'd be surprised if it were, you know? Yeah. Speaking of another top five MVP candidate in the 2016-17 season at point guard, how do you like this for a transition? Oh, let's hear it. Oh, wow. Wow. This guy, this guy. Uh, Wow. (laughs) Good one. I'll give you respect on that. So uh, Westbrook, uh, you know, I I obviously am uh, am noted as a Westbrook hater, uh, you know, (laughs) but uh, I'm not going to lie. I think he's looked a lot better in recent weeks. And, uh, you know, he's he's started to show a little bit more burst. And I think one of the one of the key things as well with him is just like the difference between his aggression. He's always aggressive, but there are times when, when he was really struggling, he's aggressive with his jump shots. And when he's really doing well, he's aggressive getting to the basket, bullying guys. There was a play in that Suns game where he just lowered his shoulder into Booker and got him out of the way and finished right through him. Uh, but, but that's the kind of aggression that you like to see from Russ. And yeah, he's, He's looked better as of late, although, you know, the turnover issues are still a problem. Yeah, and they are. And, and, and it's not even the turnovers in my mind as much as this, the quality of turnovers, the type of turnovers, like the just basic reads that you're missing because you're already going 100 miles per hour. Didn't stop to slow down. The last time you scanned the court, you know, was like five seconds too late, you know, for you to make the pass that you did. Um, making it a pass if it were a set play when it wasn't. But I do like the fact that he is, like you said, being a lot more um, – like assertive, but not with the jumper. Like you said, being that bully, getting down there, you talk about how he dislodged Booker in the post and, and finished through him, but taking guards is a lot. He did a lot with um, Cameron Payne in their last game, but just in general, like, okay, you know what? Physically, I have an advantage over most point guards. You know, it's harder for me to finish around the trees or, or, or guys with extensive length. We saw what happened when he tried that over Mikel Bridges. He got the first shot over him and just bullied him past the second shot. Mikel got his revenge um, with a nice block, but Basically, you realize now he's kind of sticking to what what works for him. Um, and that is these high percentage shots, whether it is, you know, a simple up and under, a, a nice little post move. He has a bank shot going from like 10, 15 feet. Uh, he prefers the left side, but either direction that he can kind of make his move and finish over there. So you're starting to see, um, if you're playing to his strengths, some efficient basketball. You know, we've seen a lot of 10 for 20 games, you know, a little more in that vein and not like the five for 19 that we're used to when he relies on that, you know, a ride jumper. Well, and I think it helps him similar to his, uh, his season in Houston where they traded Clint Capella and really opened up the floor, you know, not having Davis, not having Dwight Howard, the Lakers have 
have uh, basically been forced to play lineups with like LeBron at the five. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, that does open things up for him a little bit more and make it easier for him on the offensive end. So hopefully he can, hopefully he can continue and, and keep that up. But uh, we brought up the, the Dallas game and you mentioned Austin Reeves with the game winner in that one with uh, with 0.9 seconds left. Wayne Ellington as well had a, a key three in that one uh, in, at the end of regulation. But uh, how do you feel about those couple of guys as far as sort of the shooting guard position for this team and also what you've seen from Malik Monk? And are those guys going to be ahead of or behind Kendrick Nunn when he finally returns? So I, I've liked what a little bit of everything we've seen. I think Wayne Ellington could, could stand to be a little more efficient. I mean, he is the sharp shooter. He's not really a defensive uh, uh, king over there. So He's on the court for a reason. I wish he knocked down a few more jumpers. He's been part of way too many cold nights for me. But um, I've liked what I've seen from Austin Reeves. He's definitely shown a lot more defensive upside um, in addition to being someone who can make key shots. Uh, he gets the Caruso comparisons for reasons I'm unaware. Um, but also, like, you know, unlike Caruso. Uh, I, guess just, I guess just that uh, what the undrafted white guy on the Lakers, I guess, that doesn't doesn't look like an NBA athlete just by yeah. The hair and all exactly. That. It's like something, something uh, surprising athleticism, you know, or <laughs> you know, surprising hops. I don't know, sneaky, sneaky athleticism. That's the word. The sneaky word comes out, you know. But no, uh, real talk. He's someone who plays very good defense. He's someone as a connector on the offensive end. I've seen him make some really good high level passes. Um, you know, continuing possession. He had a great dime of a pocket like pass, like a like a just bullet down the middle of the lane um off like a, like a dead like a wide open guy he made a great read too but unlike caruso he's more of a consistent outside shooter you know uh someone who can who can, who's make some shots i think he went like five of six from three and hit the game winner against dallas like he's someone that will make those wide open shots make some pressure shots and have he's a perfect lebron role player you know someone who doesn't need a number called but can finish when called upon plays enough defense that he's serviceable and make key shots so that you can't really key in on him i like that and if kendrick nunn um, is not like performing up to expectations or coming off like maybe too slow a start. I could see Austin Reeves getting more time. Um, aside from that, um, Malik Monk is a guy I really liked uh, defensively. He's had some issues, like really bad issues. He's owned it, which I appreciate, but like just some really bad laps in defensive awareness. Um, aside from that, though, not only has he had some solid shooting games, but also of these shooting guards, with the exception of maybe Kendrick Nunn, he looks to me to be the guy that would go off. You know, he's had some, you know, 25 point nights, you know, 30 point nights. He would be the guy to go and and um, make some shots happen in terms of being maybe the third best player on a night when AD is cold or Russell Westbrook doesn't have it or he's all right. You know what? I can come with the surprise 27 points and be a key factor to a win. So I like Malik Monk. I hope he stays all year like he's a guy I'm really a fan of. Um, aside from that trying to think of the other one Kendrick Nunn I think is going to get his spot I think he will just get it because I think that he's someone who brings some of the point guard ability with that shooting mindset and the potential of defensive upside as well in a nice little package there uh with pretty good size in frame and I think that you're getting all of what you're hoping for if you get the idealized version of Kendrick Nunn when he comes in um, which you don't have right now. Every one guy I mentioned has weakness in one case or the other, um, whether it's on the offensive side of the ball, the defense side of the ball, or just a lack of upside in either category. And so I think Kendrick Nunn's spot is safe when he returns, if he returns like fully healthy, you know, and the season's not half over. But um, I think when called upon, if this whole team was healthy, then there would be a variety of weapons to use at that shooting guard position in terms of depth there. 
Yeah, and I guess we didn't even bring up Kent Bazemore either. He's a guy that has played some two. Uh, but but yeah, it's like the it's it's kind of a poo poo platter to be honest. There's, yeah, uh, it, it was it was it was rough. It's uh, it was rough. It's a lot of like um, it's a lot of guys that yeah are you know one way players, and even the one way is not like that exceptional. It's one thing mm-hmm. like with Alex Crusoe, like he's obviously a one way player. He's he's an offensive liability in a lot of respects, but he's so good defensively that he can make up for that. Yeah. Um, whereas, yeah, like a guy like Malik Monk, you, you've mentioned that he has the capability of going off for 25, 30, but his offense is not consistent at all. And then you also have the defensive downside of playing him, which is horrible. Yeah. And, you know, even your two way guys in Baysmore and Reeves, they're, they're not two way guys in terms of they're both like, average or even above average on both ends they're more just like only slight negatives on both ends (laughs) you said it well the way you said it was ultimately just you laid it very bare like the weaknesses are there that hurt i mean the two-way players not really being two-way just not being bad enough on either end to say one way yeah exactly they're just players you know and that's the lakers that's not what you want to have before a title contending team like the way we describe the back half of the rotation after your main starting five and what if I if that excludes AD LeBron Russell Westbrook all of them Trevor Ariza and then maybe Carmelo and Carmelo falls in line too because offense no defense then like that's not a team of which championship contenders are made right and you know they've been they've been forced to play DeAndre Jordan who we brought up earlier who has just been Really, really terrible. Oh my god, just pathetic, man. There was a play in that uh, in that Phoenix game where I believe it was Chris Paul had the ball on sort of the right wing. DeAndre Jordan was guarding DeAndre Ayton, and he just like you know Paul was just dribbling. He wasn't like driving past his guy. It wasn't a like you know an emergency help situation. DeAndre Jordan just drifts over to Paul while his man, while Aiton is just standing under the basket. And Paul just passes it to Aiton and he hits a little like three foot push shot. It's one of those things where it's like, you know, it's one thing if DeAndre Jordan, and obviously he's not as good of an athlete as he used to be, especially defensively to, to make an impact. But it's another thing entirely where it's like, Okay, you're, it seems like his uh, his positioning, stuff that you think would not get worse over time, has. Yes. Yeah, yeah. You said it. Stuff that you didn't think wouldn't be a factor because you're a vet who's played on some decent defenses in your career, you know, who has some experience, who is mostly a defensive-minded center. Nobody brings in DeAndre um, Jordan for what he does around the basket. Yes, he's led the league in field goal percentage a couple of times, but that's because of dunks, not because of any low-post acumen or anything on that end. So, you look at him to bring the defense side of the ball. So for him to have for him to have not only this lack of awareness in a troubling fashion, but also this apathy toward the ball as well, it's it's really concerning. I'll highlight even more so by the fact that the Lakers coaching staff seems, seems enamored with him and can't stop playing him, despite all evidence to the contrary, every friggin' night. Yeah. And it's it's bizarre too, given that, you know, he, he didn't play at all in Brooklyn in the playoffs last year. So how mm-hmm. is that not that should be a pretty uh, pretty strong indicator that if you've got a similar aspirations to the Brooklyn Nets, yep, that uh, he's probably Why? good enough to be playing for you. Exactly, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, 
Corbin, again, we, we mentioned it. They're, they're 500 right now, 32 games in. We're, we're, get, we're coming up on the halfway mark of the season. What, what are your thoughts about this team? I mean, what, uh, what is the, uh, what's the expectations moving forward? I'm not going to lie. I'm kind of torn. I could see it going one of two ways. I could see a trade deadline that is similar to the 2018 Cavs where just everyone not nailed down, which would be LeBron James and Anthony Davis, is just moved, just without remorse, callously gone to bring whatever pieces can be cobbled together to make a more competitive team, however that's done. Except I don't see these pieces being as appealing as the ones that, I think Kobe Altman like did a magic trick with that 2018 team. And even then, it was the greatness of LeBron more so than the cast characters brought in that really made the team a championship-level team uh, or to get swept in the finals. But basically... I see that happening, or I just see this team staying the course, trying to wait for the inevitable return to health that never actually comes, uh, followed by the very disappointing uh, first-round exit, playing game exit, possibly, because I don't know if this team, aside from having a bunch of veterans, hasn't done a whole lot so far, you know, hasn't had the consistency, hasn't stopped the boneheaded errors, hasn't stopped the cold shooting and the injuries and all of that. Um, this team is capable of, of – I don't want to say capable of winning the whole thing and losing the first round – the cable of losing the first round and maybe making the second round right now. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're currently in the seventh spot. So if the, if the playoffs started today, they would be in the play in tournament and, you know, five through nine in the West is all, you know, there's about a one and a half game differential between all of those teams. Mm -hmm. So uh, with a, with a nice little run, they could move up to five or they could down a couple of slots here with a couple of losses. So it'll be, it'll be fascinating, but, but yeah, it's uh it's a real tough situation. And, and you bringing up the idea of sort of a roster overhaul, you know, I, I would have to go back and look at that Cavs roster and, and look over those trades, but are there even a lot of good sort of mid mid value contracts that the Lakers can, can, can use in a move? I mean, I know uh, THT would be sort of a, he's in the 10 to $12 million range with his, with his deal he signed this past offseason. But, I mean, yeah, Russell was, Westbrook it, makes any trade difficult given how much he makes. And then they also a lot of these guys on the end of the bench are, you know, on the minimum. Yeah, flotsam for a reason. I think they would have to be – so any trade that is going to be bringing any sort of impact player, um, however that is, whatever that's defined by, would have to include a trade by first, of course, um, THT, but also Kendrick Nunn. Um, and then maybe a couple of veteran flotsam of whether you're getting rid of whether you're trading them to make the money match and they're getting waived immediately or, you know, by some random chance up in the basketball heavens, a player's enamored by the veteran um, knowledge of a Rajon Rondo or is fooled by how high DeAndre Jordan jumps, you know, then you could throw those guys in there as well and see. Otherwise, you're right. I just on the one hand, I've been strong before when it comes to um the Lakers front office and Rob Palenka's ability to make moves when no moves seem to be in sight. I mean, I didn't see Russell Westbrook coming over. I didn't see last year with Dennis Schroeder and, and Montrose Harrell happening. Like he's been able to make moves kind of nowhere. So I have to imagine something that I'm not thinking of right now would happen for that to be the case. But like, yeah, it'd be limited assets because you can't make Russell Westbrook's salary smaller than what it is. Neither, neither can you make, you know, THT's bigger. So it would just be a matter of how would you manipulate the contracts and who you would trade to kind of make that match. Well, yeah, I mean, maybe they can get, uh, what would it be, a fourth team 
to uh, and, and in a fourth consecutive season to consider Russell Westbrook a positive value contract. I mean, it only takes one, right? And and mm-hmm. we've already had three in a row do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, <laughs> you know what, man? I feel if he gets traded this year, I'm going to feel bad because this year I think he had a rough start, but he's been playing really, really well. If he regresses back to, you know, that uh, late October, early November games, then fine. You know, I'm still going to feel sad because it showed that Russ on my favorite team couldn't work no matter how much I wanted it to. But at the same time, it had to be done. In this case, though, I just feel like Russ is the easy guy to blame because of how divisive a player that he is, uh, despite this team's issues being a lot more than Russ. Yeah, you could even say this team's issues were partly forgetting Russ and not getting a better fit. But at the same time, like the way he's been playing, I, I just would hate for him to be playing this way and him be jettisoned to another team. Yeah, I yeah, I, I don't think the, the Lakers troubles are are down to, to Russell Westbrook. I don't think that's really the case at all. I will say, though, that like the pieces they shipped out could really be helping this team at the moment. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And there's no argument there at all. On my part. I agree with you. Like, I think it's not so much what. It's not so much the fact that Russ has not been playing decent since he's been in L.A. It's the fact that he's in L.A. at all. Yeah, and, and we talked about the the poo-poo platter at the shooting guard position. I mean, they would be dying to have KCP. Like he, he would easily be their best player at that position right now. Yes, he would. Yes, he would. But uh, Corbin, anything else about the Lakers before we before we wrap up here? Honestly, man, I just hope the next time we talk about them, we are in much happier spirits. Well, I mean, okay, you will probably be a jolly good fellow anyway, but I hope I'm in much happier spirits, and I can only be done with some Lakers success, so I'm hoping that happens. Absolutely. Well, yeah, I can't uh, can't thank you enough, as always, for, for coming on and taking the time. Thank you, man, always. Thanks for listening to another episode of Duncan Dynasty. Corbin Ford and Gary Bouguet here with you. And uh, just wanted to, to quickly say before we wrap up, uh, please subscribe, rate, and review Duncan Dynasty. We're on, uh, we're on iTunes. We're on Spotify, wherever you get your, uh, your podcast. That is uh, much appreciated. You can find me on uh, Twitter at Garrett Bouguet. Corbin, why don't you tell the people what you got going on? Oh, man, you can find me on Twitter at CorbinNBA. Uh, definitely make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. I mean, following me is just an afterthought here. But if you want some more NBA content from yours truly, uh, check out Round Ball Ramble. Um, it is my podcast. You can also find uh, the description uh, on my Twitter handle, on my on, once you click on my Twitter handle. Uh, definitely check that out. And, uh, yeah, a bunch of other um, assorted pods. I love talking hoops just like my friend Garrett does. So you know where to find me there. That's the main part to catch my work. Yeah, can't recommend Round Ball Ramble enough. Corbin does goes, does great stuff there, and I've appeared on it numerous times and uh, <laughs> hopefully will be uh, continuing to appear on it in the future. Again, we appreciate you all for listening, and, of course, enjoy the next week in the NBA calendar. Leftovers. Or the DMV. Number 97. Or house cleaning. Or Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home Internet. Cox is the real home Internet you're looking for.
Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas. Visit cox.com slash internet for details.